Hello, everybody. My name is Donna Quo, and I am a board-certified psychiatric and family nurse practitioner. Welcome to the Brighten Up podcast, where we pull up the shades and shine the light on mental health topics, both affecting and improving the lives of families. We are very excited to welcome our special guest for today's Brighten Up episode on music therapy, Haley Verinder. Haley is a board-certified music therapist and neurologic music therapist with Tidewell, a member of Empath Health in Sarasota, Florida. Haley has worked with a wide variety of populations and has a special interest in working with end-of-life care, older adults, and other medically vulnerable individuals. She combines her extensive knowledge of psychology and musical skills to provide individualized care. Haley has a bachelor's in music therapy from Belmont University and was recently honored as a professional spotlight on the American Music Therapy Association for students' Instagram page. Haley, it's so good to be with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. So we'll um, get started just with asking you if you could please just explain to our listeners, what is music therapy? We all know we love music. We're inspired by music. People are um, enjoy listening. They feel better. Can you can you explain to us in greater detail um, what music therapy is? Yeah. So essentially, it's an evidence based profession of using music interventions to work on patient or client goals. Yeah. How did you become interested in this field, and how has music shaped your life? I essentially had a lot of exposure to populations that music therapy serves. So throughout high school, I worked with an adapted baseball league as a volunteer, which is called the Miracle League of Minnesota, working with different people, kids and adults with developmental and uh, intellectual disabilities. So that was just one population that music therapy serves. And my dad also has worked in healthcare administration. It's basically one of those things I found out that music therapy was a field and said, yes, okay, let's do that. It's because it's this wonderful culmination of all these experiences that I've had in the past. My sister's friend decided she wanted to go and study music therapy. And it was really just one of those things that I just typed away on my computer for kind of hours and hours and looked up different YouTube videos and different safari pages and just tried to find all the information I could find about it. It was kind of like love at first sight. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And, you know, what what a, like, a beautiful, really specialty and, and tremendous impact to have on so many people. Mm-hmm. What are your musical interests per se as far as skills? I know that you enjoy singing. Mm-hmm. What instruments have you played and things like that? I... Um, and primarily, I guess you could say by trade, a vocalist. Um, so everyone in music therapy has to have like a, um, a subspecialty in one instrument. So I am a vocal, what they call a vocal primary. So I'm mainly a singer is what I'm trying to get at. And what I think has been really cool and how 
you know, music has shaped my life is that music's really given me kind of my own voice through another modality when sometimes expressing myself in other ways could be difficult. And I think that's something I can even see with my patients. So I'm just a really big singer. I, I just sing all around the house and all in the shower. And so I'm really mainly a singer. I also, um, play guitar and really like those softer um, tones. I really like more acoustic, classical, finger-picking style guitar. Very nice. Very interesting. Uh, I would love to hear you sing, you know, (laughs) at at some point. Uh, That would be that would be great. So tell me what what does a typical day in the life in your life as a music therapist look like? Yeah, it, it really can change. But so what I usually do is I start my mornings with different chart reviews. We go through like different tasks. So essentially we have triage notification. So if someone was seen after 5 p.m. in our community-based hospice kind of modality, uh, we get alerts. So that might be something as simple as meds being filled or it could be something very much more complex like patient is declining rapidly. So it's really important to look through those notifications. With those tasks, we also get death alerts and sometimes we have patient transfers and I also get my referrals through there. So morning is a big time for admin, especially working in hospice with older adults. My my patients really like their time to sleep. So I try to really push my visits a little later, earliest probably around like 10 a.m. So uh, I can also during that time, sometimes people put in meetings and things like that because they know that um, it's the best time to really get a hold of people is in the mornings. Also can do some different scheduling in case patients have a new update in their medical condition and should be seen earlier. For example, if a patient is closer to end of life and has begun their transition process and that has happened really rapidly, uh, I can go prioritize them. And so that's pretty much what I do in the morning and just make sure all my patients are doing okay, see what else is going on with them. Uh, And then I'll have some more morning visits. So I work in both facilities and for home patients. So that can really change on what I do every day, depending on um, what the home patients times one or how many patients I have at one facility. So the amount of patients I see very much depends on their needs and geographically where I am. And then I do uh, lunch and I end up trying to give myself a little a little wiggle room at the end of about like 30 minutes of admin in case I don't get to all my documentation in the morning. And then I do some afternoon visits. And that's pretty much what my day looks like. Some days will be different and sometimes people have more needs and I'll have to have more administrative time to prepare for them. One example right now is I'm actually being asked to be in a wellness event with Tidewell. So I'm doing more group music therapy with technically the bereavement department. So I I need some more time to plan those things, meetings, learn repertoire, preparing interventions, those sorts of things. And we also have IDGs as well. So that was a long answer, but it really changes every day. I can see that. (laughs) I mean, there's no set playbook for these very, you know, vulnerable, sensitive situations with these not only individual patients, but their family systems and helping them to navigate this, 
you know, very spiritual and important time in their lives, you know, for, for all of them, maintaining comfort and integrity and helping them to have that inner peace with end-of-life care. And what an amazing gift to be able to have music therapy incorporated into the the whole clinical picture here mm-hmm. of, of everything that goes on. Can you give us a couple of like an example of maybe some interventions that you mentioned for your bereavement group, for group therapy? What would be uh, something that you would incorporate or or provide for for that um, population? Sure. So these are um, these are not necessarily hospice patients. So this is just kind of a like community event for a wellness day. So it's going to look a little different than what my care with hospice patients would look like. So something that uh, I've been working on is I'm trying to provide a couple different experiences so people can pick which group they want to go through. So I think I'm having three breakout groups for both wellness days. So one of the groups is going to be about music and relaxation. So something I really like to do as a music therapist is bring in different interventions in case a patient or a client doesn't respond um, or doesn't benefit from one intervention. So what I'm going to do is bring in a couple different interventions for relaxation. So what that could look like is I'm definitely going to do something like a guided imagery. So I'm going to have some relaxing music in the background and I'm going to ask them to, if they feel comfortable, close their eyes and relax their muscles and take a couple deep breaths in and out. And then I'm going to provide some different prompts um, for them to find some sense of comfort and peace so one that I really like to do is is very general but it's kind of general on purpose I like to do uh, a guided imagery based on finding a person's special place and keeping it very vague on what the special place looks like and thinking about what it looks like and what the the temperature feels like and what their surroundings feel like and just really trying to get that visual of this comforting place to them and then having a conversation with the group what does that place of comfort look like to you I would like to pair that with another intervention as well which will probably be either passive or progressive muscle relaxation. So that's something else within our scope of just exercising. And um, I'll probably do progressive muscle relaxation. So kind of just clenching your muscles for a moment and relaxing and doing a different kind of a body scan. And so I love to do these two different modalities, especially in group scenarios, because then we can go back and talk about which one did you benefit from? Because people will have different responses. And I really love doing that. And then we'll talk about different ways we can promote relaxation into our life. So that's one of my examples of one of my groups, if that makes yes, sense. Yes, no, that, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. I'm, I'm actually kind of floating away to uh, one of my favorite spots, uh, Scroon Lake, New York, in the mm-hmm. Adirondacks, where I spend a lot of time, you know, and, and is a happy place. And just having that, taking yourself there through that guided meditation is very effective at just calming your my central nervous system as you're describing it. So 
really cool stuff. So what other populations have you worked with and what other additional settings can you can you find music therapists? I mean, there's Tidewell and, and Empath Health are pillars in, in communities and, and do such tremendous work and and take care of people um, so beautifully. Where else are there music therapists or if, where do they show up? Pretty much everything else I've done has been as a student. The biggest thing that I had as a student experience-wise was in my internship, which was a combined elder care facility. So it had both skilled nursing and assisted living, and as well as a um, ALF memory care unit within the assisted living too. So it was a really wonderful, I always love those approaches to facility-based work because the patient can move to whatever facility works best for their needs at the time. So if a patient needs to go from an ALF to skilled nursing, that's kind of why it's there. So that's my biggest setting and background uh, outside of hospice. And then the other thing I've done is um, working with different people with developmental disabilities. I did telehealth, serving a 12-year-old with autism, and have observed some different um, more group scenarios with a wider variety of disabilities. There's a lot of settings that music therapists can work in. Sure. So um, some other ones too, you can work in skilled home health, you can work in school systems, especially special education, um, drug and alcohol rehab. The VA has a giant music therapy program throughout and centers or community programs for those who have experienced sexual abuse as well. We do some more community-based work too where Music therapists can be contracted versus work completely out of facility, too. So music therapists can really work wherever there's clinical need, which is really cool. Sure, which yeah. is pretty much everywhere in, in every situation and just a common language and appreciation and for music and, and welcoming. You're welcome everywhere. That's got to be a great feeling. <laughs> it's not like, hey, the phlebotomist is here, you yeah. know, time to draw your blood. When doing some research today, Haley, and and preparing to speak with you, reading up a little bit more on music therapy, I discovered there are different types and deliveries, delivery approaches of music therapy. Can you describe how you choose and or combine which ones to use if it's instrumental versus vocals, or maybe do you look at working with patients at end of life and their families? So... Most of the time with um, hospice, as due to patients' medical needs and just their condition, I work on lots of passive music listening interventions. We're really trying to bring in something with memory and mood connected to it. And the research there is mainly in a patient's teenage years. So we're trying to pull back. We actually sometimes like look at the patient's age and, and do some math back there and try to figure out like when they were adolescents and when they were teens. So we try to pull back music from that time. And what I also do, depending on the patient, is I'll bring in different kinds of prompting questions uh, based on the questions that might allow them to just talk more about themselves or bring in any sort of reminiscence because I think that's really needed, especially with older adults. 
you look at how older adults are looked at in this culture, and there's definitely a need for more care for older adults and just more attention. And there's so many stories that older adults have that I'm really excited to be able to have them share their stories with me. So usually that's what I want to focus on is I want to focus on that passive music listening plus verbal questioning for reminiscence or socialization or a little bit of both depending on the patient. Sometimes patients um, have less cognitive impairments. Most of my patients do, but some of my patients don't and are in need of more psychoeducational content. So we might be looking over a song and doing something called a lyric analysis where we look at the song, we look at the lyrics, we I sing the song, and they point out anything that's important to them. And I tie that lyric analysis back to some sort of psychoeducational goal. So um, a good one that one of my old classmates taught me is, this is a really accessible one, is My Girl by The Temptations. Great song. (laughs) So we would do a lyric analysis of the song and um, be like, is there anything that stood out to you today? We want to talk about gratitude. What do you see about gratitude in this song? And then... We'll do something called a lyric rewrite, which I love to pair lyric analysis and lyric rewrite together. So you literally do like a fill in the blank, like I've got blank on a cloudy day when it's cold outside, I've got blank. And then I guess you'd say, what can make me feel this way? And a blank. So you're filling in together different things that the patient is grateful for. So that's one of my favorite things to do is combining lyric analysis and lyric rewrite because it allows the patient to reflect and then also put that in application in a fun and accessible way. For that example, the end goal would be gratitude. There's different ones. You could focus it on resilience or I've done one on kind of processing transitions or unmet expectations. So it really depends. It's a hard question because it really depends on the patient and their needs. Well, that's the beautiful thing about life and mm-hmm. just being a human being. Everybody is different. Mm-hmm. There, nobody is exactly the same. And to be able just to turn, you know, shine the light and, and spark that that smile, you know, to to produce that smile on their face by bringing them back to their teenage years. And they may not be able to list all the precedents, but I think we can all agree that if a song comes on when, uh, you know, that we liked when we were 16, we can remember it (laughs) verbatim. So it it just, it, it brings us back to that sense of, um, of happiness. It makes, makes us happy. I think that's so amazing. And, and the temptations and <laughs> for that population is is fantastic. I'm I'm going to be singing that song. I think all <laughs> listening in my head all day. <laughs> Something else too is like these are really medically vulnerable patients, of course. So 
I might not have a patient, you know, fully tell me their life story through a song and all the memories it brings back. But if I can get a smile or even in like dementia care, if I can get kind of those big eyes that I know that they're paying attention to me or tapping along or showing some other sort of interaction, then that's that's good enough for me, especially with this population. Absolutely. That non those nonverbal cues are are huge wins as well if they're if they're not verbal. And, And as you and I discussed prior to the podcast, hearing is often the last thing to really leave a patient, you mm-hmm. know, when, once they're, when they're transitioning or providing end of life care. So mm-hmm. what, what is said and, and heard is, is so valuable and so important. And I think this is great information for just really anybody that is touched by having somebody they love or care about in this situation and having a better understanding. So, the studies that have been done, how, how has it been measured that music therapy does affect one's mind, body, and spirit? I'll start with with mind and more specifically kind of closer to mood. There's um, some research that music, kind of what I was mentioning earlier when I was saying, talking about singing, is that it provides like an alternative modality for emotional expression. And through this, you can improve mood and kind of group cohesion, especially if you're thinking those like inpatient psychiatric um, kind of settings or even sometimes an assisted living setting where there's, you know, people who've been there for years and there's new people and there's lots of new dynamics going on. And it can reduce stress and anxiety. And something that I have from my neurologic music therapy training, I'm not just to kind of briefly speak on it versus kind of teach it because it is more of an advanced training. There's something called associative mood and memory training, which essentially is bringing in a song and kind of asking like, oh, does this song bring back any memories? Because there is this association between the music, depending on what the mood of the song is, it will bring in a congruent mood, essentially, to the patient. And that will be transferred through the music, if that makes sense. So yes, it, will bring it, in, it will bring in a congruent mood through the song. Um, or it will bring in memories that are congruent to the mood of the song, um, from my understanding. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm thinking of maybe like probably steering away from some sad songs and keeping the vibe somewhat positive or what are your thoughts on that? Is that... Yeah, so it depends on what the patient's needs are. If you're working with a patient that has that, that's more indicated for more like Alzheimer's work and dementia care, is that intervention? So, yeah, I think okay. it would be a good thing to bring in a positive mood association. It depends on the patient's needs if they feel like they need to go deeper and go farther into like emotional processing and working on those sorts of things then that might be something that would be appropriate. But usually, yeah, for dementia care patient, it would probably make sense to keep positive moods going unless something is happening and they need to talk about something. But if there's a patient with higher, more psychiatric needs that is more alert and oriented, it might make sense to like bring in a song that really shows validation of their emotions and kind of have a discussion about it and bring in more of those counseling skills as a music therapist. Sure. That makes perfect sense. And and I'm thinking of, of two past experiences I've had in that realm during my nursing training, mm-hmm. working in an outpatient kind of supportive group setting for patients living with 
chronic mental illness, mm-hmm. like schizophrenia. I can recall playing pool with this gentleman that really was not comfortable expressing himself verbally through conversation. But the song came on uh, with Like a Madman Laughing in the Rain, a little out of touch, a little insane. It was it was Runaway Train. Mm-hmm. And he that song just resonated with him. He goes, this mm-hmm. is what it feels like to be me and live with this chronic condition. Mm-hmm. And I, I never forgot it. Or, you know, if, if a, a song, it maybe is a little not as uplifting or a little bit sadder, a little more um, emotionally triggering. You know, I, I also have other people reference those songs to, you know, this is really how I feel. I might not be able to tell you, but have you heard this song? Mm-hmm. This really explains who I am and what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. So I can see how really a broad range of music is mm-hmm. is important to be considered, not mm-hmm. just, you know, turn up, turn the beat around and let's yeah. dance. You know, I mean, life isn't all 100% happy all the time we all it's full of um, different emotions and I think emotions are like waves you know we can't stop them but we can learn how Mm -hmm. to surf it is an interesting intervention like associative mood and memory training because I believe there's like multiple different pathways that it can get to the same essentially goal so it can be like it immediately shows um it immediately transfer the transfer the mood over or it like transfers to a memory that transfers to mood and so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting intervention because it it has like three different outcomes essentially that all relate to mood and in reminiscence um so but yeah that's something that's like kind of a nuanced thing of like I think it's important to not stray away from from music that will make a patient feel validated and heard just because it might be hard to hear or it might be a sad song yeah what you were talking about with your patients and your experiences sure sure so can you tell me, I know you touched on the temptation song with, with the patient and you, and you referenced that particular case. Is there a clinical situation? Is there a patient, obviously without naming names, mm-hmm. is there a patient that really touched your heart and really re- resonated with you and has been somewhat of a, a guiding source of keeping you encouraged and passionate about your field and what you what you do to help patients journey through end-of-life care or transitioning in different aspects of their life. There was this patient who, he, I believe he was kind of, it was was something going on with his end-of-life scenario. He was becoming more agitated and at times would kind of yell out his daughter's name. And this was like very distressing to the daughter. And um, she was just didn't understand where it was coming from. And he didn't directly have a dementia diagnosis. So it wasn't something that we could easily be like, this is what's happening. Uh, or at least in my experience, especially as a younger music therapist. So I was able to kind of bring in music and it would just uplift his mood really significantly. And he would sing along and it would be this kind of redirection. Like he would, he would kind of yell out at his daughter and she would get upset. And like, I would provide some kind of basic listening skills and 
And then I would focus back on the music intervention and it would go away for a minute. So just to like have that sense of respite for the patient's family to not feel that strain of, you know, my dad is yelling at me and I don't know why. And for that patient to have a moment where they're not feeling agitated, is just such a great example of music therapy and hospice care and improving overall quality of life, in my opinion. So yeah, that's, that's a really big one too. And I think that's another great example of why it's really important to have a music therapist present because we have those kind of dynamic skills and we have those, that counseling training and we can work on multiple things with multiple, the family and the patient and knowing when to implement specific interventions and when to listen to the family and how to balance those family dynamics is something that I have some background in as a music therapist, and I think it's really cool to be able to implement that. Sure, absolutely. To really look at the big picture, the whole family system Mm -hmm. and and what they're all going through, you know, how their mental health, all of their mental health individually is being affected. Mm -hmm. And I I think of family systems like baby mobiles, you know, you know, one person is kind of floating downward or, you know, it kind of throws off the balance and the the kilter of the whole family system. And I think when either somebody on hospice or any family member is agitated or upset, it's it's uncomfortable for that person. And then it really has that ripple effect on on everybody else Mm -hmm. in, in the home and the environment. So I really requires quite a bit of education and experience beyond just coming in and listening to somebody sing to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really doing a thorough assessment and so many different variables. You are a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> Can you tell me, just for fun, for people that are maybe agitated or kind of angry or frustrated, you know, what what might be three of the uh, that are your favorite that that you would recommend? So it really, it really depends on the patient's preferred music. Um, I think that's the best way to do something to help the patient be less agitated is bringing in something familiar. But one that I always go to, um, I, I really enjoy bringing in Edelweiss because it's really easy to slow the BPM of that song. And it's a song that I think so many older adults know and love. And what I like to try to do is I like to try to get music around about like 60-ish BPM because then you're essentially attempting to match your um, healthy heart rate and and physiologically attempting to calm the patient down as well. So you're bringing in um, a positive audio stimulus for mood, but you're also bringing in an audio stimulus to attack more of those physiological responses of maybe agitation, or I think this goes for various patients of of stress, anxiety, um, those things as well. So kind of taking, I always like to take a multidimensional approach of of going through different avenues. That makes complete sense. So more of a a coffee house as opposed to a real hectic type of of beat. Um, Yeah, if the the patient loves hard rock and is going to feel super validated, then I'm not saying that it can't be used, but sometimes I do think having a more relaxed song is more beneficial. You know, because there's personally my favorite, you know, I I was a teenager in the 80s Mm -hmm. and, you know, lots of heartfelt songs then. Uh, 
you know, but I, I know they're, they're now too in, in your generation. You're, you're just getting started. You're a young woman with, uh, who's going to have so much reach. And it's, it's amazing that you have so much knowledge and you've studied all these, these generations of music. I mean, that's, that's a lot of fun, I'm sure, for you and a stress reliever for the complex situations that you're in and, and management that you have to provide for various types of people. Something I will say, too, is um, something I like to let families know is there is a lot of music with BPM of 60 that's like readily accessible okay. on the Internet. Uh, and I like to recommend that to families who maybe the patient is in pain or is feeling really stressed. Of course, it's not a replacement for music therapy, but to be like I will not be able to be everywhere at once. So it's it's really important for me to give a resource to people or guidelines of how to not overstimulate the patient while I'm gone. So sometimes I recommend patients having increments of like maybe 20 minutes and then a break, especially for farther complex dementia patients um, that have sensory stimulation needs. But I, that's something I realized recently just going back to that BPM is that is something that is online and is a wonderful resource. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, That's great. That so just just Google, you know, beats per minute songs of 60 and... Yeah, I think you can like literally put like 60 BPM, like, okay. like the, the abbreviation. The abbreviation, mm-hmm. 60 BPM. Okay. So where do you... You mentioned that music therapy has actually been around really for quite some time and it's growing with with rapid momentum where do you see it five years from now my my hope is that we will um just continue to just have more research um and continue to have research kind of stacked on each other (laughs) so that it provides a more comprehensive understanding. Of course, we have great research now, but to just continue to improve in that, something that I really, really hope for, we'll see if it happens, but I really hope to have more standardized interventions for pain management. Um, It's something I'm really passionate about is for music therapy for pain. So I'm really interested in how we can more so streamline an intervention to have a more direct response and just to have more research in that because I kind of have a couple different schools of thought of how we can address pain in music therapy. Um, So just to find more physiological responses to what specific approach we can take. Of course, we can bring in music therapy, but how can we bring in more of a specific intervention? That's fascinating. Can you share with us what what a couple of the schools of thought that you've thought about or you think may have some potential pain definitely you know derails millions of people affecting quality of life and their ability to connect with families and work and uh just tremendous um tremendous issue you know you can't really do anything if you're in pain so so something that this is just kind of a a side passion project in my head that's been going on. But there's something that is called an ISO principle, which is essentially mood vectoring. So um, it's the idea of if a patient is feeling um, like if a patient has, you're you're trying to bring in music that is more um, applicable to the mood that they're in and then 
kind of bring it down to whatever mood you want them to be in. So um, that's kind of, so if you could kind of bring in sad music and then go to more peaceful, like positive tones, kind of things like that is what an ISO principle is to slowly progress um, through to meet a specific kind of goal. So there's ideas of that within music therapy for more of a uh, physiological response. So there's the idea of doing that for, you know, playing more quick, rapid music for a patient with more rapid, like breathing or heart rate and to decrease it and to go to the, the, the stimuli that someone would want to be at to that baseline. Okay. So that's one school of thought. What I'm really interested in is would it be more effective to start the intervention at the um, baseline, like to start it at the desired baseline, essentially. So to start music at that 60 BPM versus kind of vectoring from higher to lower. Okay. So that's what I, that's a little passion project of mine that I probably need to do a little bit more research on as well. But I mean, there are endless variations and ways to combine these interventions to achieve great success Mm -hmm. with so many a vast array of pain management strategies. It seems just the sky's the limit. There's so many, so much potential, so many different opportunities to, mm-hmm. to help families, to change lives and improve quality of life. And I am excited to follow you on that and um, see what you come up with. I'm, I'm excited for just what is to come for music therapy. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. As we're we're closing up, I'd like to uh, just ask you for our, our listeners tuning in today, can you suggest a few music therapy activities or, or homework assignments that they can use or share with family members to improve overall mental health for individuals maybe struggling with losing a loved one, maybe who is on hospice now or or struggling with uh, feeling chronically low or depressed Mm -hmm. or having thoughts of self-harm or Mm -hmm. things along those lines. So I would always recommend trying to get a music therapist, but I understand that there are accessibility issues with that in terms of finances and just geographics. There is a significant amount of private practice and contract music therapists that might be able to come like see you versus like you have to go to a facility and have a music therapist at a facility. So that is an option too, but some kind of basic things that someone can do at home. There are a lot of scripts for guided relaxations, guided meditations, and that's something within our scope of practice with music therapy that can be found online as well. Something that I like to um, mention is just kind of making playlists and thinking about like relating to how you're feeling and your mood and kind of kind of reflecting on what that means and what that looks like for you and I think also just singing and just instrument play in general um, has a lot of research for mood positivity singing especially has a lot of research for mood positivity so just finding ways to use music truly as a coping skill and as a creative outlet because that's really what the end of the day a lot of the focus is on in music therapy, especially in psychiatric care. <laughs> you know, oh, it's very absolutely. it's a very big part of our our scope anyway. I think those are some kind of things is learning how 
to express your feelings through music, through instrument play or through making playlists and just kind of learning more about yourself and your story through music. Even songwriting would be a great way to express yourself too through music is kind of actually finding a story that you want to just scream out and sing out that's going on in your life. Absolutely. And, you know, as as a uh a psychiatric medical management provider as, as a nurse practitioner, you know, I, I talk about medications for mental health a lot with patients. And I, I always do, or, or people, um, people living with, with mental health struggles or difficult times. And, and, you know, I, I must say I, a hundred times a week, you know, that the best outcome for a positive state of mind for, for a happy life is, is, Sometimes, you know, when medication is needed, it's it's at best 30% of the solution combined with therapy or, or developing self-care skills or interventions that are going mm-hmm. to strengthen those brain muscles. Mm-hmm. Like you work out biceps and triceps, but learning how to calm yourself down and, and, and what works for you and coming up with an individualized plan through music therapy or interventions or, or whatever really resonates is equally as important as any any medical intervention, conventional medical intervention, mm-hmm. and and exercise too. I think taking a walk while you're listening to your playlist uh, has tremendous. That's like a mm-hmm. a turbo speed type of <laughs> self care intervention. I just also want to stress that like music therapy is meant to be this blend and like we are complementing those other services too and like part of like just what you were saying that's why I, that's really I really love music therapy is because it's able to work with so many different disciplines and it's a really cool experience of like being able to work on pain management in this modality while someone else is also prescribing appropriate and needed pain medication and just kind of working together and like having a more comprehensive perspective to healthcare in general. Absolutely. Providing that holistic approach to support patients. Mm-hmm. It's not just just one or you're, you know, you're it's going to be lopsided. You're not going to have the the optimal outcome. Haley, you've really laid a fantastic groundwork and and provided us great insight on what music therapy is and and what it's like to be a music therapist. And thank you for coming in today and sharing your expertise with our listeners. And uh, I really hope that you'll come back and see us again very soon. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in today to today's podcast with Haley Verinder on music therapy. Have a great day and we'll talk with you all soon. Thank you. Our listeners interested in learning more about music therapy and the many benefits it has with specific individualized medical conditions or finding a music therapist close to you. I did come across the American Music Therapy Association website at www.musictherapy.org that I think is a good reference for specific conditions such as autism and neurological difficulties as well as heart conditions any anything you can think of there is more information there to be sought out if anyone has any questions about music therapy they can feel free to email me as well my email is hayleyverinder at gmail it's h-a-l-e-y v as in victor e-r-i-n d as in david 
E-R at Gmail. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that information.